The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, where it's out with the old and in with the well, also old, at Watford, who have replaced the sacked Claudio Ranieri with former Crystal Palace boss Roy Hodgson. Will the 74-year-old Hodgson's Hornets stay in the Premier League? And how are the other relegation candidates feeling about events at Vicarage Road? We'll discuss that on today's podcast, which has a distinctly managerial theme as we react to the news earlier this week that Thomas Frank has signed a contract extension at Premier League newcomers Brentford, whilst Everton continue their hunt for a new boss after Benitez got the boot. And there is one emerging favourite, but does he have what it takes to get the Toffees out of a sticky situation? And not long to go now until January becomes February and the transfer window closes. Once again, Jesse Lingard is on the back pages, but where will the Manchester United man end up? Plus, Arteta has an Arsenal shortlist, but are any of the names on that shortlist realistic targets for the Gunners? Welcome to the show. This is the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the season. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall McCorn and talking of managers, with me today we've got a man who's been managing his own disappointment for years being a Newcastle United fan. It's Marley Anderson. Morning, Marley. Morning, guys. Thank you for that little uh, instant dig. So I'm going to pass one on to to uh, to Ian um, and say thank you, Ian, for the three points at the weekend um, oh, and specifically to <laughs> Ilan Melier for lobbing one into his own goal from John Joe. Voldemort Shelby's uh, team free kick. Do you know what? It's just a bit of nice bit of charity, isn't it, when, when that went down? I mean, you can imagine what my phone was it. like, living in Sunderland, being a Leeds fan. It doesn't, doesn't get much worse for a Saturday evening, <laughs> got to be honest. Well, he's not only managing that despair of getting texts from mates, rubbing it in, he's also managing a sadly a sick child this morning, yet you're still ploughing <laughs> on the podcast, Ian. How are you? Oh yes, oh yes, I'm I'm <laughs> ploughing on. Yes, yes, been awake most of the night, uh, but even that was more pleasurable than watching Leeds United versus Newcastle last weekend. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Let's uh, let's crack on and talk about why. Yeah, let's crack on. We'll talk about Roy Hodgson in a second, as you say. But first of all, um, we're going to tease your brains with a little bit of Premier League trivia. So here's our trivia question for today, and we'll give you the answer later on in the podcast. So play along with us, listening in, and see if you can get the answer before Ian or Marley do um, they might not even get it right who knows but here's the question which former Premier League player has also featured in the Championship League 1 League 2 the National League La Liga the Europa League the Champions League and the World Cup there's only one player that's played in all of those competitions and he did used to play in the Premier League he's retired now that's your clue don't give me your answers just yet but do you have any thoughts burning in your mind yet Marley 
Uh, I don't know. It's, it's not Dwight York. It's not Dwight York, is it? It's, it's not Dwight York. But we'll we'll come we'll come through. I mean, if Dwight York played in League Two, that would be some effort for whoever he yeah, played I for. Thought, <laughs> but we'll, I thought we would have heard about it. Yeah, we definitely would have done. But that's the trivia question: Which former Premier League player has also featured in the Championship, League One, League Two, National League, La Liga, Europa League, Champions League, and the World Cup? We'll give you an answer later on in the podcast. But first of all, time to talk about Roy Hodgson as we. Suggested yesterday, he is the new Watford manager. That was confirmed yesterday afternoon. He's on a contract until the end of the season. There is a possibility to extend that further into next season if the parameters of the deal are met, which is basically keep Watford in the Premier League. We spoke about Hodgson on yesterday's show, Marley. Do you think he's going to be the difference maker? Do you think he's got what it takes to keep them up? Um, no, not really. Um, I think he's he'll do a a decent job of sort of steadying things but i don't think watford have the squad where you would say that that squad should stay up you don't you don't look at watford and go surely they they're too good to go down i think if uh, if newcastle keep improving as they as they as they sort of are um and sign a couple of players in the last um week of the window you're looking at that and saying of those four teams that are in trouble you'd probably back newcastle to get out of it uh, more than you would Watford, like even Norwich are improving. Then Nor- Norwich at this moment in time aren't even in the bottom three. So you look at that and say Watford is second bottom. Only Burnley are below them, and uh, it's a big, big task for for Roy Hodgson. I don't think he's the type of manager who'll come in and and sort of you know tactically massively you know redevelop Watford into this sort of uh swashbuckling attacking style team I think he'll just make them a bit more solid and a bit harder to beat but ultimately when you've got a squad like that which I, I don't see as full of full of talent um, I think it's going to be a tough task for him Yeah it certainly is and we spoke to Justin who's a Watford supporter and part of the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast on yesterday's episode of Football Social Daily himself and, and Carl were reacting to the news that Ranieri was gone and Hodgson could possibly be coming in it wasn't confirmed at that stage so to listen to the whole chat with those guys from the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast just scroll back in the timeline or the feed here on Football Social Daily and you'll be able to find it that's yesterday's show but Justin mentioned Ian that Roy Hodgson was the best of a bad bunch. Is that harsh on Roy Hodgson or is that just a fair assessment of the situation that Watford find themselves in? I think, I think it's harsh on uh, on Sam Allardyce and the like and uh, <laughs> Harry Redknapp or whoever else might be, you know, fancying themselves for a job. Um, do you know, let's be honest, you know, Watford is not the biggest Premier League club in, you know, in, in, ever. <laughs> They're just not. Um, but there are a lot of people out of work at the moment. There are a lot of managers. If you look at the League Managers Association website, which I don't have in front of me at this moment, but um, if you did, there'd be a long list there of, of people who are registered as managers who are currently out of work, and there'd be some big names among that. And for Roy Hodgson to be the one to get the call, who's retired, as you say, he's 74 years old, poor Roy. I mean, he was probably just looking forward to going fishing or something. But now he's having to deal with, you know, maybe a few weeks worth of work and stress at at Watford, uh, if he's lucky. It it does seem to be a bit of a weird appointment. You know, you're going round firing, you know, Claudio Ranieri to, to, to Roy Hodgson with the best will in the world. I don't think it's a, a trade down. But I don't think it's a trade up. It's more like a sideways step. It just what a bonkers club though. And and there's a tweet that I saw earlier, and, and this was the original tweet was put on in December, and it's been updated. <laughs> and it was like um 
Claudio Ranieri was the fifth manager to uh, be in charge of Watford since they last kept a clean sheet. And that's been now retweeted with, make that sixth manager uh, for, for Roy. And it's just like, it's the sixth manager since they last kept a clean sheet. There's something inherently wrong at Watford that it doesn't matter who's managing. You know, me or you could manage it. And it, it, there's obviously something going on underneath. And it, it sort of, for me as a Leeds fan, has has shades of the, uh, the, the Cellino era where you've got a guy who's going around firing people for fun and, and nothing good comes of it, you know. And whether well, whoever is the manager isn't is is on a hiding to nothing. But yeah, I'm surprised What's that Dave Roy... Hockaday doing these days. Dave, Dave Hockaday, ah, oh, <laughs> Dave Hockaday, <laughs> yeah, Dave Hockaday. I mean, the, the, that is a measure of how far Leeds have come when they employed Forest Green Rovers manager and he was going to be taking them to to the Champions League and it was clearly never going to happen. Uh, and, and scenes of him being chased out of the car park and in a taxi or whatever it was, you know. So that, that that's an entirely separate thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's better than Dave Hockaday. But I bet Dave Hockaday is a bit gutted that he didn't get employed. He was one of these guys that sort of talked about himself in the third person. You know, that was always an alarm bell. <laughs> like The Rock from the WWE. <laughs> he used to refer to himself in the exactly. third person. Exactly. <laughs> The hawk is that what he calls himself? <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> oh yeah. goodness me! Um, obviously, Roy Hodgson. Um, I think he was quite um, quite clear in his comments um, in taking the job that he didn't want to retire after leaving Crystal Palace. But like you say, Ian, he's of such an age, mid seventies, that it was almost impossible or extremely unlikely for him to get another job, and that's been the case. And I think you're right in what you say about Watford and. You know, fundamentally from the outside looking in, there must be some problems there. But speaking to the Watford fans on yesterday's podcast, they seem to be okay with the hire and fire culture because it's brought them six or seven seasons of Premier League football. It's got them promotions. And like you say, for a small club like Watford, who have never won the first division, they've never won the championship, they've never won a trophy really, aside from the old third division. They are quite a small club, so they've done pretty well for themselves. The thing, the thing here is that looking at the history of, of Watford managers, and I know there's been various owners over this this time, so it's not all down to the people who are in charge of the club now, but they haven't had any stability with a manager for a long time. You know, every manager has managed, um, you know, the, the last longest serving manager, you'd say, um, well, you've got uh, Malky Mackay, who was in charge between 2009 and 2011. He was there for 99 matches, followed by Sean Dyche, who lasted 49 matches, and then Zola for 75. And after that... None of them have reached from, 50 matches. Well, apart from Garcia, in 2018-2019, he got 66. After that, you're talking 12 matches, 2 matches, 22 matches, 2 matches, 22 matches, 36 matches, <laughs> Most of those matches. are Hayden Mullins, though, to be fair, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, well, exactly. He's, coming <laughs> in, he's, he's, he's like on the revolving door in and out of, uh, you know, for, for, for the, a couple of matches while they, while they hire somebody else. But you've got to go back to A.D. Boothroyd between 2005 and 2008 for anybody who's lasted more than 100 matches in charge of, a, of the club. And that's a long time, and that's a lot of managers to go through and obviously they've gone through what one two three four five six since the start of the pandemic so <laughs> it's uh you know it's it's a lot of people and it doesn't it doesn't help you you look at all the successful clubs they've all got stability it all takes a couple of seasons to get anything going and whatever they're hiring and firing yeah they got to the premier league but look where they are now and you know that's it and it? it's just it's just not a good scene 
Yeah, I mean, like we say, you can hear more reaction from Watford supporters on the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You, know, you can also listen to our chat with Justin and Carl from that podcast on yesterday's episode of the show. But Roy Hodgson has been confirmed by Watford as their new manager, at least until the end of the season, if he doesn't get sacked before then, of course. Uh, we didn't discuss this yesterday, Marley, but Watford's recent form, um, Ranieri sacking and subsequent replacement by Hodgson, how does this leave Newcastle United, Norwich City and Burnley fans feeling? What's the kind of general consensus? I suppose you can speak from a Newcastle perspective. Is it a, a positive feeling? Because clearly Watford are struggling and they've dropped into the relegation zone for the first time this season. Or is it the reverse of that feeling? The possibility that Hodgson could get them going again? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know, to be honest, because like a, I'm sort of wary of that bounce that they might get but I'm not you're not scared of them no not really because it's Roy Hodgson and if you're scared of Roy Hodgson <laughs> you you have a low sort of uh, <laughs> a, a very thin skin when it comes to football because I mean Roy Hodgson other than Harry the Hornet who we had major beef with uh, way back uh, I don't <laughs> think he's scared anyone you know for, for a long long time so it's one of those where like yeah, the the bounce might get him a few points, but I think you know, in in Newcastle's situation, they're not going to go down because of how good Watford are. They're going to go down or stay up, depending on how good they are and how good they they can be over the next uh, sixteen games or seventeen games, whatever it is. So um, either way, like you can't just hope Watford are going to be crap enough for you to stay up by default. You've got to go and do it yourself. So no matter what they do. Um, You've you've still got to outperform them, and uh, they they haven't been great so far. As I said before, I don't think the squad's up to much. I think Ismail Assar is a big loss for them, but even he, I, I don't think he's consistent enough to to drag them out of it by himself. He's, it's going to need a a really big um, sort of turnaround from them, and I think the the main issue is is the defense. I think the defense is is really poor. So you've got to look at that and say who's favourites to stay up out of. Newcastle, Watford, Burnley and, and Norwich, you'd probably say Newcastle, but it's uh, I'd probably put Watford as, as third favourites to to stay up out of those, so I'd probably back Burnley and Newcastle to, to stay up more than I would Watford. Um, and then even Norwich have got half a chance now, now with Dean Smith, but I can see them going as well. I can't see them staying 17th for the rest of the season, so I'd probably say Watford... In my opinion, they'll still probably still go. Do you think we'll have a better understanding, Ian, of who has the best chance of survival come a few days' time when February begins, the transfer window closes? Do you think that's what it might boil down to the next five or six days and who signs who? Well, I think you know who signs who is 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 going to be important and and you know, give an indication of certainly intent. I think particularly with you know sides like Newcastle, people will be wanting to see quite how much financial muscle they're flexing and and at the moment they haven't actually flexed quite as much I think what's happened is that Newcastle have gone around flashing the cash and then other teams have sort of been alerted to interest with players and and they seem to be getting sort of gazumped somewhat with uh with with teams that uh are perhaps not in danger of of getting getting relegated quite so much and and you know maybe that'll be different in in the summer as long as they survive um that'll be the thing but looking at the you know the league table burnley have got quite a few matches to catch up so they if depends how they do with those games in hand doesn't it 
Uh, I think that's the other key thing to see how Burnley go. But if Burnley lose those games in in hand or or don't get much out of them, um, and it all starts to even out, you've got to say that those sort of bottom um, four or five are, are starting to you know be cut adrift from the mid table bit. I'm hoping dearly that Leeds are sort of bottom of mid-table rather than top of the relegation challenge. Um, but, um, and, and you know, you, Leed, Leeds are there with nine first-choice players out, you know, and, and you, you'd got Calvin Phillips coming back, um, Patrick Bamford eventually one day this decade, um, and, and a few of the other players coming back. That's going to strengthen them. Everton, you think, probably are going to get going because they're going to get a new manager in and, and all that. You've got to say it's you know my hunch is it's going to be one from one uh three from that bottom four as it stands who will survive yeah we don't know we don't know i think you're probably right though definitely agree with those burnley games in hand at the moment they don't have a striker since selling chris wood to a rival in newcastle but they're meant to be they're meant to be signing a orsich from zagreb which is actually quite a, quite a good sign that's it? quite he scored an amazing we're, goal we're against Tottenham, didn't that. he earlier this season yeah okay that's yeah. interesting i didn't see that so maybe they will bring someone in then that might make a difference to them and their uh, survival hopes we'll wait and see of course and we'll have more transfer gossip Uh, later on in the show and we'll also be talking about the aforementioned Everton they still haven't found a replacement for Rafa Benitez we'll be talking about that next after this on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. We're talking managers today after Ranieri was sacked by Watford yesterday. He's been replaced by Roy Hodgson and kind of caught up in all of the mix of the news this week was that Thomas Frank, the Brentford manager, signed a new deal at the club. He'll be staying at Brentford Community Stadium until 2025 if he does see out the length of his contract. The Danish manager took over from Dean Smith in 2018. Of course, he's guided the club to the Premier League now and they're enjoying a decent first season at top flight level. He's now been rewarded with a new deal. I guess, Marley, that's an indication that the board feel that he's done a very good job there. Uh, yeah, he he has. Um, I think he... Was he Dean Smith's assistant, wasn't he? Um, way back when, when Smith eventually left to go back to his boyhood club, Villa. So um, I think he's he stepped into the role very well. I think Brentford were, were set up to be... to sort of promote from within. You know, they had that sort of... Um, unique um, club style, you know, the sort of 
um, people have compared it to Moneyball and stuff like that and the the way they, they binned off the academy and decided to buy players who get put on the scrap heap by other play other teams like Saeed Ben Rama and um the I think uh, who else did they have uh, Ollie Watkins and, and players like that and um it was a centre back they had as well that went to Brighton was it uh, oh they had someone I can't well they had Mope as well didn't they who went to Brighton Mope, yeah Mope yeah that's right that's probably what I'm thinking of that little house but um <laughs> you know what I mean like it was the 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 sort of model of the club was so sort of in keeping with each other like everyone knew what they were doing everyone knew how everyone worked that it sort of like led to this promotion from within thing and you know the the work Dean Smith was doing was just carried on by Thomas Frank and the the style and everything was that good they got everything right and they ended up in the Premier League um, and they, by all accounts, looks like they're going to stay there this season. So I think the real challenge comes next season. We've seen it with Sheffield United, didn't we, a couple of years ago um, when our very own prophet Ian Brannan said they'd stay up um, and <laughs> and um, ended, up, uh, ended up going down the next season. So I think Brentford's test may come in the next sort of um, 12 to 15 months, but... As of right now, Thomas Frank's done nothing wrong and um, he's getting the team playing quite decent. They're getting linked with Christian Eriksen this week. They might sign in. That would be an amazing signing. Um, and they've had a, a pretty solid first season in the Premier League. So, mm. fair play to him. He's, uh, he's doing well. Yeah, I mean, this new deal runs until 2025, but in the more immediate term, their form has been pretty poor lately. He's also been charged by the FA with misconduct this week after being sent off after the Wolves game. I think he might just be starting to feel the pressure a little bit. The Premier League is ruthless and rigorous and maybe fears of being sucked into a relegation scrap are starting to to peek through the surface. He's normally a pretty stern character. I think you said a couple of weeks ago, Marley, that... You know, his surname describes him quite well. He's a pretty frank guy. Um, but six defeats in the last seven Premier League games for Brentford. They'll be hoping they don't join that tussle at the bottom, that scrap for survival that we were talking about earlier. Everton may well find themselves in that relegation scrap if their poor form continues. They're still searching for a new manager after they sacked Rafa Benitez a couple of weeks ago. The favourite is Vitor Pereira, the Portuguese coach who last managed Fenerbahce in the Turkish league. Frank Lampard is still allegedly a possibility, but they're still yet to find that perfect Benitez replacement that they're seeking. There are no games this weekend or through next week, so there's a bit of a break in. I guess that should give them some time to find who they want. It's currently Big Duncan Ferguson on a temporary basis. He said to the media he could be in charge for the next two or three games whilst Everton look for a boss. How much of a blessing in disguise do you think that small break could be for Everton? Because it gives them a bit of breathing space to try and find the right person. Well, I think it's, um, well, first of all, it's an unusual thing for, for the Premier League, isn't it? And this is just because the, the African nations are, are, are catching up, or some of the South American nations are catching up on their World Cup qualifiers and stuff because of, uh, because of COVID. Um, so we have, in effect, got a bit of a, a, a winter break, which many managers have been crying out for. And so it does give clubs in, in all areas chance to regroup, both with injuries and, and all that kind of stuff, signings. And um, and 
as you say, with managers as well. Um, it will be interesting to see who does what in this time and, and, and how they benefit from it because, you know, I think plenty of clubs could do with a bit of breathing space. For Everton, they do need, as you say, to get sorted with a manager. It looks like the reports on Merseyside are that um, Pereira is expected to be the new boss. Um, that's what everybody in the know says. But then again, they were saying that about Frank Lampard seven days ago. So um, we'll wait and see on that one. But um, as you say, they need they need to get somebody decent in and they need to get somebody in now who can work with any new signings or at least have a say on any new signings in these remaining few days um, rather than the club sort of you know forcing or, or not doing anything when they when they need to strengthen which of course will be the worst thing um, and, um, and and give them time to, to sort themselves out and get themselves up the table as you say at the moment it could go either way uh, they, they could quite easily finish comfortably mid-table or they could get sucked into this relegation battle and Everton of course one of those teams that uh, ever presents in the Premier League so we won't want to see them going down for, for that reason well as you say Vitor Pereira is the main le- name linked and he's the one who looks like he could be the new manager of Everton he's certainly leading the race with the bookies that's for sure and in terms of his background he's won league titles with Porto in 2012 and 2013 he won a Greek title with Olympiakos two years later in 2015 but in 2017, he stayed at 1860 Munich in the German Bundesliga for five months uh, and got relegated. In fact, I think it was the German second division that he got relegated from, not even the top flight. And he's never managed in the Premier League. Everton currently only six points from the last 42 available and a 16th in the table. They are four points clear of your team, Newcastle Marley, and they do have a game in hand. With all of that considered, that being Vitor Pereira's rap sheet, are you convinced that he can do a job at Everton and do a job in the Premier League? Uh, to be honest, mate, I've I've got no idea. Um, I don't know too much about him other than, you know, he's done he's done really well with Porto. Um, but you are talking twelve or thirteen years ago when he when he left when he started with Porto in two thousand ten. Um, you know, I, I don't know really because he's been he's been a bit of a basket case bouncing around. You know, Olympiacos, then Fenerbahce, then a random stint in Germany, as you mentioned, then China. So you're always looking at that and going, he's one of those that chases a bit of a paycheck. Um, then back to Fenerbahce and, and, you know, not doing too well. I think he was they were fifth when they, when they sacked him um, just back in December. But Everton have fancied him for the best part of a decade now. Um, I think he, he had an interview to replace David Moyes in 2013 at Everton. Um, just coming off the back of his Porto stint, so they've looked at him then, and I think they interviewed him before the uh, they had um, Ancelotti as well before Ancelotti came in. So they've they've fancied him for a while. So you know, someone's in Moshiri's ear, and probably Vito Pereira's agent saying, you know, I'm s- still here, mate. You know, still out. I'm out of work now, and I fancied the job after two near misses. So he, he might. I, th- I feel like it will be him. Um, it feels like the the right fit, but I don't I don't see Everton as anywhere near good and um, bad enough to go down or anything like that. I think whoever comes in will pull them away from the relegation zone purely because of the uh, the sort of good feeling that will spread around the club again. I think with with Rafa, he, he always had um, a big sort of disadvantage to to immediately overcome straight away, um, and ultimately that pr- proved to be too much because as soon as the results started going south, the the fans started hitting him and, and it got even harder to the point where he just couldn't win. Um, so I think whoever comes in, even if it was Ferguson to the end of the season, I think they would improve. Um, 
so if it's Pereira and he can harness that sort of good energy and, and good feeling and just get two wins in his first four games, Everton will pull away from that pull away from that um, that bottom four or five, whatever it is, um, and they'll be all right. So I can see whoever coming in doing all right, to be honest. Still no official announcement from Everton at the moment, but Vitor Pereira seems to be leading the race as the Toffees look for a new manager. Time for another break here on Football Social Daily now, but afterwards, the latest January transfer gossip coming your way. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Sports Social's Football Social Daily, the only Premier League show with a new episode every single day of the season. So if you want to keep up to date with all the goings on in the English top flight, if you hit subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use, it might even be a follow button somewhere and you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is released. Time to talk transfers now and Jesse Lingard once again is on our agenda for the podcast today. He is a talking point, no doubt. He's on the back pages as talks of a move begin to accelerate with the remaining days of the transfer window still to come. Manchester United want a loan fee for the midfielder for the rest of the season, around three and a half to four million pounds, according to reports. And allegedly, they've rejected offers from Spurs and West Ham United, where Lingard spent some time on loan last season, due to the fact that both of those clubs are top four rivals to Manchester United this season. So the only real option is Newcastle United. Newcastle are slightly reluctant to pay the loan fee, And Lingard is allegedly only keen for a short stay, not a permanent stay. That's according to reports. Newcastle are also interested in Tottenham's Deli Alley. We'll ask your opinion in a second, Marley, being a Toon fan. But Ian, first of all, who would you rather have, Deli Alley or Jesse Lingard? Uh, Well... Interesting you asked this question. Um, I, I would say that this was, was prior research, but really it wasn't. I've had them both in my fantasy team this season. And, um, well, Deli Alley, on his day, is brilliant. But the problem is, his day only comes once a moon. And uh, that that's, that's, seems to be generally the issue, to be honest. Just so inconsistent. You know, he can be a world beater when he wants, but then you'll have four or five games where not a lot happens. Uh, just literally completely anonymous Jesse Lingard you know he's going to try and he's going to keep going till till the end and will probably win you a game in in the injury time as we've seen what he's been doing with uh, you know the likes of when he was at West Ham or indeed for Manchester United uh, when he's had a chance you know he has come on the pitch and changed a game Deli Ali, he can do that but uh, yeah Lingard's definitely the the stronger option I would say Given the choice, I think Lingard will, will definitely deliver. Deli Alley might do, but he might not. There's just no way of knowing. I'll probably be in Chicken Cottage over the road from St James's Park before everybody else. That could be the <laughs> actual outcome. Marley, what about you? Um, I think if it was me, I'd personally rather have Jesse Lingard because, as Ian says, he's shown more, more recently than Deli Alley has. Albeit he's only played two games, I think, for Manchester United this season. But what we saw in that three or four months loan spell from West Ham last season was that he's a very good player and there's still a top player in there. Haven't seen that from Deli Ali for a long, long time, bar maybe one appearance this season where he had a good game, I think, in the Europa Conference League under Mourinho at some point. Um, who are you taking? If you had the choice, if you were Newcastle United, if you were the Saudi ownership at your club, who would you make a move for, Ali or Lingard? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I had the money. Um, nah, um 
look, logic suggests it has to be Lingard, as, as for the reasons you've mentioned. We've we've seen what he did this time last year at uh, at West Ham when he was focused and and loved and appreciated and played in the first team. Um, so that's hard to hard to it's a hard temptation to turn down. Um, I do think Deli Ali at twenty five just needs a new challenge. I think he could turn in the type of form that Lingard did last season. Um, with with just a fresh start somewhere else, somewhere that's gonna put his put their arm around him and and uh, you know encourage his sort of best performance to come out with a good manager and a good system around him. So like I I get that you can't there's no guarantees or anything in football at all, um, and you've probably got to look at how Ali's played when he's had chances this season. Not not many, but he hasn't exactly grabbed it with both hands. So. You're looking at that and saying, like, okay, Lingard's at least brings you some sort of degree of, of um, like guarantee that he's that he's gonna do all right. And then, but the thing that's the thing with Lingard, like, you know, he, he's only keen to come for six months, and I don't blame him for doing that. So, but does that affect how much you want to pay for him now? Like, do you want to pay four or five million loan fee and then have him? stick his fingers up in in your face in in the summer and go somewhere else when he's a free agent but that's that's the kind of catch 22 Newcastle are in yeah. at the minute cause... it's almost like Ali on a permanent or Lingard for a short term deal but which one's more likely to keep you up which is the immediate term goal it's a really interesting situation this yeah it's 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 a strange one really but you know would if if it was cut and dry would you pay 5 million for Lingard to keep you up like yeah of course you would but it's that thing of if it does go wrong, you you kind of you've used him and then he's he's gone and you haven't you've not you've got nothing to show for it because the the gamble hasn't worked. But that's the situation that that Newcastle are in because that's the last um, four or five years of ownership and um, sitting still in the transfer market, missing out on all these players, and and then now you. Now you you're stuck sort of paying the price for it, so it's uh, it's a decision they've got to have to make, and they've got to get it right because time's not exactly on their side. No, it's a very good point, and once again, I think Jesse Lingard will be a talking point on this podcast for the next four or five days until the transfer window does close. There's also been reports in the newspapers today that Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta has drawn up a short list of the players he wants to make Arsenal a better team. Those players include Everton's Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Aston Villa's Douglas Luiz and Wolves' Ruben Neves on kind of a transfer shortlist, I suppose you could call it, Ian. If he can get any of those three players, either now or in the summer, they'd instantly improve Arsenal, don't you think? Well, yeah, absolutely. They're all... all you know good good players uh, definitely i think you know arsenal once again are having a, a bit of a frustrating season i suspect by the fans um, standards you know a frustrating season once again um in in the league and that they're not challenging in in the top 4 um they're in the top 6 but you know <laughs> only just um and and they do need it seems a little bit more strength in depth and quality strength in depth. It's no use just having players. You know, you need to have good quality to, to carry over the line in, in these competitions as you get further into the season. And um, maybe that's what they need. If they can get um, one of those in, just a little bit of extra quality, something just to, you know, ignite the, the, the passion of the, the Arsenal crowd, if that's even possible. Um, you know, but, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll wait and see. But... Yeah, a little bit of extra quality in Arsenal's side. A mark, you know, they need like a, you know, just a bit of 
something just to showbiz them up a bit, don't they? And uh, you know, an extra an extra player like that can get some goals, get people off their seats. It's got to be a good thing. As I say, they're in that kind of funny area in the league at the moment where, you know, it's very close between them and Spurs. I mean, that's not a good place for Arsenal to be, is it? Um, And again, they're in the danger of sort of ending up sort of comfortably mid-table obscurity or with a with a bit of a push you know they could they could make a push to that um you know even top 4 where they, where they currently are just about you know if you take um that 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 fourth spot where man united currently are that's probably what they're aiming at so to do that they're going to need a few more points only a few but um yeah i think a bit more quality and and that could be it cuz yeah on their day we've seen in this season they've been they've been absolutely terrific and you know they, they've smashed plenty of sides around uh, Leeds included um but you know similarly that you know they, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't be surprised to see them also suffer quite yeah. a significant defeat themselves yeah well they've had that haven't they they've been beaten convincingly by yeah. the likes of Chelsea and Man City this season but they've also done a number on teams like Leeds like you mentioned so it has been a, a little bit a case of against maybe the the other 14 teams out of the top six they've been all right against. And then when they come up against the top four or a top six team, they seem to struggle a little bit more. But certainly I feel like those players that are on that list, Calvert-Lewin, Douglas-Louise, Ruben Neves, all of them would improve Arsenal. Jeannie Wijnaldum is also being linked with a strange switch to Arsenal, according to Sky Sports and the Daily Mail. So that, that's an interesting one. Um, in terms of those targets, as we mentioned, Marley, everyone would love a Calvert-Lewin a Ruben Neves in their team, are Arsenal in a position to sign any of them? Are they realistic propositions for the Gunners, I suppose is what I'm asking. Yeah, probably. Like, I don't think they could, I don't think you can look at Wijnaldum and say, why would you go to Arsenal? Because he's not really enjoying it in Paris by all accounts. Um, He's not, look, I bet a day doesn't go by where he regrets, uh, rejecting Barcelona in terms of um, going to... Uh, actually, maybe not, actually, because he's playing with Messi and, and Barcelona are an absolute wreck of a club at the minute. But, um, yeah, you know, he he's not enjoying it over there. And I think at, the, at this point in, in Wijnaldum's career, he, he's won a lot. He's won the Champions League and he's won uh, the Premier League. And he's had a, a you know fantastic career. And he probably just wants first-team football and to be, to be appreciated. Like, you can't really... Re- um, you can't really sort of criticise him for turning down a move um, to uh, Paris or even Barcelona if if it had turned out to to be Barcelona, because he probably wanted another challenge from after being at Liverpool, and then he wanted that like step up to an elite club, and it hasn't really worked out. It doesn't really work out for a lot of players, to be honest. So um, you you're going, you're thinking about him, and you're probably thinking he just wants to be. A similar role to how to what he had at Liverpool, where he was in the team every week, one of the more sort of underrated players, and I think Arsenal could give him that platform. I think he'd he'd, he'd improve them, um, and he would um, be one of the sort of missing pieces in the Arsenal team at the minute because I think they need goals um, from from midfield um, as well as you know Odegaard and Saka and Smith Rowe and Martinelli are all looking decent. But having a guy who's a bit older than them can could really help, I think. Um, I think he's, he's 30, 31 now, so he's still got a really good goal-scoring record. I mean, this is the guy who scored 14 goals in in a, a season for Newcastle when they got relegated, so he's, he knows where the goal is. I think he played a different role for the vast majority of his um, 
of his Liverpool career, which is why he didn't didn't score as much, but he turned himself into one of the the sort of best centre midfielders in in the league and probably the world. So he's he can give a lot to whoever whoever gets him. I'm not sure Arsenal's the best fit for him because um, I feel like he could he could play in that Spurs team behind Kane and and with Son. Um, I think that'd be a, a very very good front three. But if if Spurs haven't got what what it takes to to pull the finger out and go for him, then I think whoever gets him gets a really good player. Yeah, I think this is interesting with these named names linked to Arsenal. They seem like they're in a bit of a strange spot at the moment because they've got a lot of young players at the Emirates, but they're still a massive club in this country. And, you know, we always talk about the attraction of living in London and the facilities at Arsenal are very, very good. The stadium's excellent. So there's a lot to like about, you know, being linked with Arsenal. But whether Arteta will get these players that he's allegedly interested in, we will have to wait and see. It certainly doesn't feel like it'll be this um, this window. I think as well, like Arsenal has still got enough pull to 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 rock up at Everton and say we're taking your best player, like Calvert Lewin. I think even Richarlison. I was thinking about Richarlison yesterday. You know, Everton haven't done enough to keep a player as good as Richarlison for the last few years. The way there, I think he's on borrowed time there. To be honest, I think whoever, um, I we got to remember Richarlison's in the Brazil team, like when he's when when they go and play international football, he's in there starting eleven. Um, so you're looking at that and saying, are Everton going to be able to carry on to him, uh, to hang on to him? And then I'm looking at Arsenal thinking, you need a new attack. Why not? Why not Richarlison? Like, you've got no strikers pretty much. Richarlison scores a load of goals from that left wing. Uh, I think that could be a huge, uh, huge signing for them if they, if they went and done that. But I still think they've got the pull to go to Everton and saying, we're taking him, try and stop us and name your price because we've still got the money. Or you would assume they've still got the money. So I'll have to see what happens. But I, I certainly think they've got that pull. Only a few days left of the transfer window. We'll keep you up to date here on the podcast and as best we can on the website as well, sport-social.co.uk. That is it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. But before we go, we need to answer that trivia question we set at the start of the podcast. Which former Premier League player has also featured in the Championship, League One, League Two, the National League, La Liga, the Europa League, the Champions League and... The World Cup. So we've had about 40 minutes thinking time. Ian, have you managed to come up with any potential answers for this one? I know that there's there's not many players who have played in, in La Liga who are English. Um, I'm assuming it's an English player or a player players that have played in England. Um, <laughs> I'm going for Jermaine Pennant. Okay, not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. I've, it's a similar era of player. So Jermaine Pennant was at his pomp okay. at the same time as this player that the answer is, but it's not Jermaine Pennant. So not a bad effort, that's for sure. What about you, Marley? This is a tough one. I will be honest. This is a tough one. Uh, that's kind of threw me when, when you said a similar era because my only guess, I've got no idea about this, but my only sort of guess was uh, was Steve McManaman. Oh, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's the same club as Steve McManaman. The correct answer is also a Steve. It's Steve Finnan. Wow. Of course it is. The Irish player. (laughs) The Irish player, Steve Finnan. He played in the National League, um, worked his way up through the leagues with Notts County. Did he go to Spain, did he? Uh, He went and played in Spain, yeah, for a single season. And then he came to Portsmouth and then retired. So he's played in... The World Cup, of course, for Ireland. The Champions League and Europa League with Liverpool. He played a season in Spain. And then, obviously, with the way his wow, career started... Four appearances for Espanyol. Yeah, I know. 
You see what what that was? It was a, it was actually a bit of Portsmouth trivia. That that would have been the key. We should have known, shouldn't we? I didn't know <laughs> Portsmouth were involved. Yeah. Did you go? Did you go to? Uh, did you go to Sunderland at the weekend? My, and, I, uh, I did. Um, well, the football ruined a nice weekend, actually. To be honest, um, <laughs> the the three hours, four yeah, hours. Nice weekend you spent in Newcastle. I did. Not I did. In all fairness, the four hours between leaving Newcastle, <laughs> going to the match, and coming back from Sunderland to Newcastle that that was the worst bit of the weekend, unfortunately. <laughs> But, you know, (laughs) that's how it goes sometimes. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks, Marley. Thanks, Ian. We'll be back tomorrow with more. We'll catch you then. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.